0: Hello, everyone, welcome to this week's Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast, jam-packed edition of the show for you guys this week, because we had a ton of action over the weekend. Jacob Kiplimo takes down his Ugandan countryman Joshua Cheptegai to win the World Half Marathon title. On the women's side, Perez Jepchirchir of Kenya becomes a legend. She wins her second title in a women's-only world record. Uh, in cross country, we've got Northern Arizona winning the best NCAA cross country meet of the year. They beat out BYU and Oklahoma State. Anti doping news Salwa i the world champion at 400 meters last year, has been cleared to compete. And let'srun.com visitor, Shawnee Miller webo is not happy about it. We've got Ekadon in the United States to discuss. We've got Emily Sisson currently, as we speak, leading the 2020 New York City Marathon. Killian Jornet has beaten Jacob Ingebrigtsen in a road race. Deleted thread of the week. Tons of stuff to go on this week. I mean, Weldon Robert. Welcome to the show this this time.
1: John, you, you missed the big news. Brighton won. Crystal Palace won after a gross display of sportsmanship. Oh, John, I, could, I really can't speak to you right now. In case you guys don't know the inside teams, John and I, soccer teams are hated rivals. John's player tried to take out a player on my team with a vicious red card at the end of the game. And then to top it all off, John, your Patriots lost in my survivor pool and probably cost me about five or $600. We're getting down to the end here, so I don't really want to speak to John.
0: Okay. Well, sorry about that, Weldon. I guess that can distract from, we're not going to talk about your Cowboys either because they might be the most depressing. One of the, outside the Jets, they could be the most depressing team in football and still somehow leading the NFC East, I think. So I, I don't even know what to say.
1: First place Dallas Cowboys, baby. It's a, it's a big sports week for me. The World Series is in Arlington. The Cowboys are in first place. I'm just hitting on all cylinders right now. Keep your head up, Texas. Keep your head up.
0: Well, I think we should go to the topic that most people listen to this show for, which is running, and the biggest event over the weekend, one of the most anticipated of the entire year. This is the only official global championships we are going to get in twenty twenty was the World Half Marathon Championships in Gdynia, Poland. They had this course right the finish was right on the beach. Uh looked to be, you know, a little windy, but overall some very fast times. And you know, two very exciting races to me. I mean, I think we should start with the men here, because I, the big story coming in was Joshua Cheptegei. Can he continue his perfect season? Can he win the World Half Marathon title in his debut? And he, the answer is he could not. He finished fourth, a respectable fourth, in 59-21. But the real story of the day was Jacob Kiplimo, uh, who is his Ugandan rival, breaking away late to win 58-49. Uh, and that's that's his first serious half marathon, really. You know, he'd run a small one in Uganda. He looked tremendous. And I think it was a breakthrough victory for him. Really exciting for the sport.
1: So, John, you are explaining you're starting with the men first. And you said because. I thought you were going to say because I'm my sexism. You just have to acknowledge that these days. Get it out there. It's very perilous times. Hopefully after this election we can.
0: Hey, look, I got up. I got up, I set my alarm for 4.50 specifically to watch the women's race in its entirety. It was good. It was worth it. So, and I got up also, I got up at 2 in the morning to watch the London Marathon women's race in its entirety. Please do not accuse me of sexism until you start setting your alarm earlier, than to watch these things.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. First of all, Gadenia... It looked like a beach town. The place was beautiful. I, I, I applaud these people for hosting. I never thought I might want to go to the Baltic Sea and for a vacation, but those images were stunning. So I don't know what it cost to host one of these things, but I was like, where is this thing? It looked very resorty and it looked warm. I always figured this thing would be cold.
0: It didn't look warm to me. It was over. It very much reminded me of sort of an English coastal town and that it can be like 50s and overcast and kind of windy. Like, you know, England's an island, but. Most of our coastal towns, I wouldn't say, you know, or well, Great Britain is the island, but not a lot of them you'd say, oh, this is a great coastal resort, you know, but it did look like it looked like a good venue for the championships. And uh, yeah, I I was impressed by it.
2: Sorry, guys, to burst your bubble, but this is Let's com co-founder Robert Johnson. You guys have been talking about sports, talking about why people come to the show, talk about running. They come to the show to listen to me and they haven't heard from me. You guys have been talking for minutes on end. After sleeping on the floor with my child, I forgot to bring my computer in. So I don't have my webcam. So when we record this, we can see each other. So we don't want to talk over each other. So normally I raise, raise my hands to get, get to get myself on. But, uh, you guys are, obviously don't know your Polish history. I mean, Gdeni is right next to Sopot where World Indoors, where Steve and I went. It's beautiful. It, it, these, these are amazing places for vacation. Beautiful beach. Amazing. John called it windy. The conditions were amazing. The PRs were, absurd in both the men's and women's races i mean i guess part of that is the show the shoes but i mean everybody was pring in this race it was insane
0: oh that's a fair point robert so i was confusing i was thinking the ecodine yesterday was windy the the conditions at world half it was actually pretty minimal wind it was good for running fast there are a couple tight turns in the course i will take the defeat on that and i'll just say it's a shame not to be able to look at robert's face while we're recording today but i get to look at the thinner better looking version uh right in my computer screen of Weldon so no, i'm just kidding he's thinner but i i think you guys are pretty close on looks so i don't want to insult either one of my bosses
1: well it's, i mean john confusing the michigan equiden with the world half marathon championships <laughs> fireball offense there no I, i'm i'm really pleased with this michigan a- equiden i think it can be a permanent event on the calendar so you are already confusing it with the world half good jobs to the brooks hansen Team for putting that on. We'll get to that later. But back to this, the world half. I think coming in, well, the focus was on Joshua Cheptegei. He's broken the world record of 5K and 10K, and now he's making his half marathon debut. And I think, I think most of us thought he'd win this race. It'd probably be a battle in him versus wat Candy, who has just been crushing the half marathon, had the best PB coming in. And I think we all sort of overlooked Jacob Kiplimo. C- I mean, obviously he's on the favorites, one on paper, one of the favorites or contenders, maybe is a better word, but officially he's only 19. He's always second fiddle to Cheptegei. I mean, this guy was the world cross country runner up last year. So it's not like he doesn't have a credentials at longer distances, but you're racing the world record holder at 10K and you're kind of viewed more as a. Younger, shorter distance guy. We think, I figured he would get beat for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if the reputation of him being a shorter distance guy is necessarily accurate because he has run some ten k's and stuff on the road and on the track. But th- I think the point there. Weldon, he ran seven twenty six like two months ago on the track. Not even. I think it was maybe a month ago. And normally, a guy who runs seven twenty six. You know, I mean, maybe with this new era of shoe adjustments, they they can run fifty eight forty nine. Uh, that, that's pretty impressive range to do both of those things. And, yeah, he was just like Cheptegei, kind of unproven at the half-marathon distance. And since Cheptegei is sort of more proven at the other distances, everyone went with him. But I think the question now needs to be asked. I mean, you look at what Kip Limo's done. He's officially 19 years old. He's run 58-49. He's run 12-48. And he's run 7-26. Joshua Cheptegei is, is 24. I mean, could this guy... I know we've, we're just... Like, we've been crowning like guy could be the next Bekele, but like, is it possible that Jacob Kiplimo could be even better than guy?
1: I mean, it's kind of crazy. John's writing off guy who just broke the world 5k and 10k world records. I mean, it's kind of nuts for having this conversation. Could it be better? Well, I think that you have to say yes. It's like in the realm of possibility. I mean, this was an amazing performance. Like take out guy who's a little bit older and there's, some debate about Kiplimo's age but there's no question Cheptegei guy's older if we take him out of the equ- equation Keplimo is the world cross country champion already now he's the world half marathon champion he's run 726 for 3k so he's essentially beaten Jakob Ingebrigtsen because that was the big race this year the 726 was in Rome where the, the two 19 year olds Jakob and Jacob raced each other so it's in the realm of possibilities I mean, Ugandan running, like, let's hear it for Uganda. Like, Kenya's sort of taken a step back, I feel like, or, or maybe it's more accurate to say that Uganda's taking a step forward, but at least on the men's side, the Ugandans are the ones stirring things up in this weird year.
2: It's fascinating to think about, I mean, as this race was happening, as Cheptegei was going down, I mean, actually, even before we went down. In the middle of the race, I said, what if Kilplimo wins this race? Because, John, I mean, I thought Tim Hutchings on the commentary nailed this. And and we put this up, you know, as a featured clip on Let's Run.com, the website. Like, Kilplimo looked so smooth when he was running. He looked – and I don't like to – you know, we, we had a study up in Let's Run. Like, if you, if you send coaches a clip of people and say who's running most efficiently, they cannot judge it based on form. But – I'm gonna do exactly that and judge it based on form. It didn't look like he was pressed. He looked just so smooth. It looked like um guy was had a little hitch in his stride. Caplimo looked just like he was out for a jog in the park. So relaxed, so wonderful. And I'm like, what happens if he wins this race? I mean, he's run 726. That's faster. So he's faster than Chepta. Someone could say so he's faster than Chepta guy at the shorter distances. If he has better long distance endurance, why would he lose at the 5,000 and 10,000? I mean, it's kind of a, a shocking result. I asked Let's Run.com coaching stat group with John Kellogg what he thought about this. He's like, well, we can't, you know, make judge have grand conclusions off of one race. Nobody wins everything. You know, you could have one off day. You could be, um, you know, sick or something like that, or just a little bit flat because you ran the 10,000, you know, eight or nine days before that. But I think Weldon hit it just a second ago. I mean, if it wasn't for guy and his recent success, we would think, oh my God, this guy is the future. Like 726, he would be the world XC champion, the world half marathon champion, all of this before he officially turns 20. I mean, so he very well could be the greatest ever. You know, we don't know what's going to happen, where this is going to go. Um, you know, I, I think that one thing we do know about this race, and I was amazed by the way Chepta guy handled the defeat. First of all, he comes across the finish line, doesn't even medal. What does he do? He goes up to his countryman and gives him a huge bear hug and lifts him up. Galen Rupp and Jordan say, and people like that who have run through the mixed zone and jumped over fences. Which of those athletes jumped over a fence one time to avoid us in the press zone? This is how you handle defeat. You handle it with class. with sportsmanship
0: just for the record Ben Blankenship was the person who jumped the fence Galen Rupp at the 2017 USA's just blew through the mix zone and refused to talk to reporters but I don't believe he jumped any fences oh
2: wait did I say Jordan to say I met Mary Kane I think did I I don't know
1: well celebrity figures you know you got to go pretty far to slander someone but Robert's getting close just making shit up Alberto Salazar if you're out there listening our apologies. And a couple things. This just reminds me of a couple things. One, essentially the Alberto Salazar book is out now. And John and I will be speaking to author Matt Hart tomorrow. And this it's a wonderful book. It's called... Grabbing my copy right here. When at all cost, Inside Nike Running and its Culture of Deception. And John, I'd really say that the article is more about alberto salazar's journey at nike as an athlete more so as a coach but also as an athlete sort of like it puts in context and tries to synthesize what's been going on for the last 20 years or 18 years 19 years
0: yeah yeah i mean not to step on the toes of this interview too much but there's definitely a lot of interesting stuff in there one thing we were talking about is like after just now after the 2011 worlds galen Rupp when he failed to medal and actually even come close to meddling, he was considering leaving Alberto Salazar, according to this book. He told Cara Gaucha on, uh, on a training run. He was on the verge of tears, and he told her, he's too controlling and involved in my life, and he was thinking of moving on. Obviously, he didn't. He won the silver medal the next year. Uh, this is a little you know, away from what we're talking about, but definitely stay tuned, because I'm sure the interview with Matt will be great.
1: Yeah, I'll probably drop that too. Let's run.com supporters club members first. So if you want to join the supporters clubs, go to letstrun.com slash subscribe. Right now to do that, you get exclusive content, early access to content, you support the website you love, and you can save 20% on running shoes. 20% on running shoes from Pacers Running.
2: Speaking of saving big on shoes, guys, I'm gonna make broadcast journalism history right here. This is gonna be a first in the history of all podcasts. Hold on. Podcast listeners, can you see that? Well, you can't see that, but Jonathan Weldon can see that.
1: Un- Who do you mean? You, you just told everyone your micro your camera is broken. Wow, Robert, lying. Robert's just full of it today. I forgot. Just lying to the America. I forgot that you can't see it. I can see. I, I can see
2: you guys, but I'm sticking up in front of my broken webcam. A beautiful red, white, and blue little silver pair of Hoka Carbon X's. Just saved. $40 on these. I also have another pair here. Hoka Clifton 7s. Those are the trainers that Ben Rosero, the Hoka NAZ Elite told me to buy.
0: Uh, wait, only- Robert, are these the shoes that are going to carry you to your sub-3 marathon? The Hoka Carbon Xs. I don't know why
2: Ben told me to get the Clifton's. Folks, if you're deciding between the two, the Carbon Xs are better. But I've got them both. I just saved $66. Thank you, Let's Run. You know, very excited about that.
1: And I wish we could see Robert, because I was going to ask him. I haven't seen him. The Let's com. I mean, I guess maybe we're getting them at the wrong time now. Well, I mean, one goat's already been defeated, and the other goat's been defeated. But the 159.40 unofficial Eli Kipchoge goat shirts are now here. Robert, they have arrived at the Let's Run.com headquarters. So everyone who's purchased one you should get them in the, within the week. But I wanted to see them. Like, I've seen the other versions we did, the Amazon version. Robert wanted, like, Let's Run on the Neck and all this other stuff. Robert, like, give us an update. How are the shirts?
2: The shirts are fantastic. Very, very soft. I've worn this shirt now for three straight days. Haven't washed it. (laughs) Totally comfortable. (laughs) Is your wife
0: all right with this? You don't change your shirt for three days?
2: You don't feel the ink at all. It's beautiful. It says Let's Run on uh, on the Neck. It's amazing. Now, Weldon did tell me not to ship them out myself. He's like, you don't see Jeff Bezos shipping out packages for Amazon, but I I wanted to get the shirts here before I sent them out, make sure they meet the quality control and they do. So they're going out soon. If you're overseas, it's going to take a little bit for you to get them. But you know, unlike Facebook and unlike Twitter, as I always say, you can actually pick up the phone and reach us 844, let's run 844-538-7786. And unlike them, I am personally handwriting you a note if you bought one of these shirts. So enjoy that. Enjoy the shirts. They'll be there shortly. Think about making some Chepteguy guy shirts despite his loss. Like, it's only would only be appropriate. We made the 15940 shirts and they go out after um, Kipchoge's loss. I still think I should make some Ugandan shirts for Mr. Chapter guy.
1: And if you like a shirt, go to run.com. All of these notes links will be in the show notes, including a link to Matt Hart's book. Buy it through us as we get a small commission.
0: Alright, well let's go back to the race here. Uh, fi- a couple final thoughts on the men's race. One thing I thought was interesting before the race, Chep, the guy calling out Mo Farah, basically saying like, why isn't Mo Farah here? Mo Farah his racing this fall. He ran the one hour world record in Brussels on September 4th. Clearly he was quite fit for that. Then he goes to the London Marathon. I'm sure he got paid a nice sum to pace that at 2.11 30 pace, the Olympic standard for the men. And he doesn't run world half. And guy was like, why isn't he here? And I think this is... I, I love this because, A, I always like when runners trash talk each other and call each other out. And, B, I do think it's sort of fed to ask sometimes. Like, we talked about Safan Hassan sort of skipping it and just even though she was clearly in really good shape the week before. And, I don't know, I like to see if a runner is not doing anything else. And I guess Farah did run, you know, he technically ran a half marathon. I'm sure he would have been fine to race this world half. If Ryan's not doing anything else, they should be running World Cross or World Half or these big events to make it more exciting. So I don't know. What did you guys think about Chep the Guy calling out Mo? I
2: thought it was amazing and right on the money. I mean, for our sport to grow... I mean, think about what Mo Farah did to the fans of the sport. He basically committed fraud. He expected us to be excited about his one-hour world record run, which was basically a good 59-minute low half marathon. But then he doesn't even show up for basically a one-hour run. You know, a month later. So I don't blame him because he doesn't, there's not a big financial incentive to go to world half. Like if he's looking only in the self interest, but that's the problem. The sport, there's no one in charge. The shoe companies are in charge and they let these contracts be set up so that people do what's only in their self interest. But you want to know why he didn't run the race? Because he, to his credit, he ran it a few years ago and he got smoked.
0: He got and third, Robert. He got smoked by Camro in a legendary performance. Mo Farah ran very well in that race.
2: But look at guy He was viewed as unbeatable. He was viewed as the next thing. He shows up and he loses this race, and within five minutes, someone on the message board is like guy should not have run this race. You know, and I'm like, no, it was fantastic that he ran it. It's okay that he lost. I think he's actually might help him. Instead of going into the offseason thinking, you know what, my poop doesn't stink. He th- I'm the greatest ever. He thinks, my God, am I even the best guy in the country? He's going to be extremely motivated. He knows that he's not unbeatable. He knows that he has to stay focused. And that's what you've seen with some of these greats. Like, uh, I, I would argue that the, the the problem with Bekele over the years is once he was winning everything in World Cross and they got rid of World Cross, he didn't stay focused in the offseason. He got a little bit chunky. He got, you know, whatever. The, Kipchoge has been the best because he's always been focused. And I think that with Cheptegei, I think he loves the sports. It was amazing. Not only did he congratulate his teammate, then afterwards he was taking pictures with the British team. He was saying that he was happy with the PR. This guy has – the thing that I'm most excited about is he has a love for the sport. He enjoys the sport, and I think that he's going to be doing amazing things. Does that mean that Kaplima might not be better? It doesn't mean that at all. I mean, Federer is great at the sport. Nadal loves the sport. Djokovic loves the sport. So I'm hoping that we have just an amazing performance after performance between these two guys. And it's really like Carl Lewis and Mike Powell in the long jump or something like that.
1: I'm sick of you guys picking on Movara. You guys have been like dismissing him all summer. The 10K record g- got crushed. He wasn't even like mentioned as a possibility at next year at the Olympics. Now, you guys bring him up. Who's just not to, like,
0: mentioning him? We mentioned how he's going to do in the Olympic 10K like every mo- once a month on this podcast. Minimum.
1: Minimum. Nope. 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 When the world 10K record was broken, like Marfara wasn't even mentioned. It was like he's past his prime. I think Farah has an excellent opportunity now. So the guy didn't win or win the world half. Whatever. Like he's very selective in what he races. It would be better if he did, but he did do it a couple years ago. So. But. Look, now he can go to the the Olympics. He, his legacy is already cemented. He's a famous British athlete. I think the knock on him was he didn't have the world records. Well, now he's definitely not going to get those. But everyone's assuming, well, at least the running, I think, purists are assuming he'll, he'll get beat in Tokyo. If he somehow could pull this off and beat Cheptega, it's like, wow. And I think also the running community, people like the underdog. If as far as the underdog, he's not with Salazar anymore.
0: I mean he's not a tr- he's still image. Mo Farah. He's still the two-time defending champion. I don't think people are ever going to say Mo Farah is an underdog. I I feel like I mean he's not expected to win, but can you really cl- like that's like saying the Patriots were an underdog when they played the Chiefs in the 2018 AFC Championship game. Like yeah, they they were kind of old, but they're still the Patriots, you know.
1: It'll be interesting just to see how the one the British press might look at it differently than the rest of us. But I just think it's a good opportunity for him because if he loses, who cares? He'll still be, what, double Olympic champion? I mean, it's crazy. Quadruple double, Olympic double, champion? yeah. However you want to say it. Like, in some ways, the guy doesn't get enough credit for that. So I'm looking forward to it. If he can sort of get back in the mix, I mean, his I, I think people assumed his track days were over. I mean, he'd given it up on it. And now he's got to go back to the track and race the fastest 10 gay guy ever. It's, I mean it's it's kinda of scary. I wouldn't blame him if he if he wouldn't show up for it. But I think he's going to. Or I hope what do you mean? Does.
2: I think this is gonna be amazing. I'm not riding Mofer off. He's got an amazing kick. We already knew that Chep Guy the knock on him was maybe his kick isn't that great. That would still be the case. You know, and that's why I when I look at Kaplimo I'm like, is he faster than Chep Guy? But then I asked John Kellogg, I said, Well what is the world record in the five thousand convert to for three thousand? He's like seven twenty low you know, 720 or 721, right near that world record. So the Olympics are going to be fascinating now. The question, if you're Mo Farah, though, is the thing, one thing you might fear is that do the two Ugandans team up, work together, and just slam that pace down so fast? I mean, you know, I mean, people have tried to make the worlds fast before, and Farah has won some fast worlds, but is it so fast? But the problem is then they want to beat each other. They don't want to sacrifice themselves, so you know you saw this once at the u.s trials when um Selinski and Teigen camp they were supposed to alternate the leads one of them didn't feel good didn't do it um right Teigen camp didn't do it and then ended up making the olympic team and solinski didn't make the team i mean obviously he was very upset about that so what happens will they do, will they do the team tactics but we also need to talk about the women's race paris jeff i mean she's won the world half in 2016 She Take some time off for a baby. Comes back, wins again a women's only world record. Is a total, total half marathon stud. One of, I mean, John, who, are, who are the other women that have won two yeah, titles? Yeah, it's
0: it's very elite company, Robert. Women who have won multiple half world half titles: Paula Radcliffe, Lorna Keplagat, Tecla LaRoupe, and now Paris Jipchicha. I mean, that is four absolute studs.
2: She's running the Valencia marathon in December. She says she wants to run two seventeen or two eighteen. And I mean, with the new shoes, I would be surprised if she didn't run that, to be honest. What about you guys?
0: Yeah, no, I exci- am I mean, that's the big thing, right? And that's kind of my, one of my wonders is, is there a role for like the half marathon specialist in the world today? I think you could say there is like Jeffrey Kamoura was one kind of for a couple of years, but then he started winning marathons. But I feel like even if you're like, like, look at Zersenay today, he's the ultimate example, like. He was a world half marathon champion. He won world cross. I guess he never won the global title on the track, but like I always felt like there was something like just missing. Like if you're a world half, if you're a half marathon ace, you kind of expected to go up and become a great marathon. That's it's sort of viewed as a stepping stone event. And I kind of feel that way with Chip Chirchir is like this is amazing. It's all really impressive at the half, but the, the, the marathon's kind of the major leagues of road running. And I'm, I'm interested to see her win one.
2: Of course, it's a stepping stone event because the half marathon, is not even an Olympic event. So, yes, I want to see her do something, you know, at the marathon distance, you know, to just sort of prove that, you know, I mean, to me, the half marathon doesn't do anything. And some people may say, like, why did you guys spend more time on, on the men's race than the women's race and talking about it? But to me, like, I view the people that come up from the track is more marketable and more interesting to me because I've been invested in their careers a little bit. I've been following Complimo on the track. I've been following Chepty Guy on the track. I don't follow the people that are road runners from the beginning as much. It kind of reminds me of the NBA with the kids not going to college anymore. I liked when the athletes in the NBA built their brand at a Duke, you know, a place like that. Um, a Kentucky or whatever. I knew who they were when they went pro. Now I'm watching the NBA and I have no, I have no emotional connection. I don't know who these people are. There's no Christian Lightner moment that I refer to. So it's kind of interesting. Paris Church, you know, as good as she's been, she's sort of been doing it at this half marathon distance. So I'm not sort of like, oh, what is she going to do in the future to the same extent that I was like a Caplimo or you know, um, even a Chepty guy.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point, Robert. Um, well, I, I want to talk about the race specifically. Like, this was a weird race. Because there were two very high-profile falls. One was, you know, around halfway, just before halfway, the defending champion, Netsunek Gudeda, she's running, rounding a corner and just goes down. And then, about 17k, there's a pack of five women left. And the world record holder, Ababel Yashana, she tumbles, uh, I think because Jocelyn Chepkosky behind her, the former world record holder, was running a little bit close behind. They both go down, and that is the breakaway move that allows the three eventual medalists, which is Jepchirchir, Melat Kajeta of Germany, who was a total surprise, PR'd by like three minutes to get the silver, and Yelamzof Yehualor of Ethiopia. They made the break there. I guess I was curious what your guys' thoughts were on the falls. Was this just a fluke that these things all happen in the same race? Was it was there any, like, some people were saying, oh, it was the shoes. They must have fallen because of the shoes. Or I don't know if I totally buy that, but I'm kind of curious. Like, what do you guys make of them? Full
1: disclosure, John, I did not see the race. One, it was at what time did you say?
0: 5 a.m. Hold on. So the, the man who called me out for not giving the women's race its due respect didn't even watch it. Wow. that's I'm speechless, Weldon.
1: I may have to resign from the website. I also did not watch the men's race. My wife and I and little baby Cece, we escaped for a little mini vacation for three days. Went to an undisclosed location. We drove. Um, so I was not working this weekend. And a, a vacation with a five-month-old is very different than what I thought it would be. But it was fun. We had fun. But, no, and reading the recap, I was like, wow, like, this is just weird. Like, what was going on? Because you don't see a lot of falls in road races. I don't, how does the shoes contribute it, contribute to it? I mean, the first one, John, you said, oh, she's running a little close to her. People don't fall because people are running close to each other. They fall because they make contact with each other. So it sounds like just a fluke thing, right? Like a bunch of people just hit each other. or, or Without a wet surface, right, maybe the shoes you have slightly less grip or something? I, I don't uh, see.
0: I think, that's, I think what happened on the second one was it was just they were running close together because that was on a straightaway. And – you know, Yeshenek got kind of close to the curb, and then Jep guy, I think, just clipped her from behind, and they went down. The first one, there was some tight t- turns on this course, and I think that's maybe like some people were saying, "Oh, the the Vaporflies, or the Alpha, you know, these super shoes, they're so bulky, it's harder to turn." I I don't know. I mean, we've seen t- a lot of turns in races before; and it hasn't really been an issue, so I don't really think that's the cause. I think it was just a fairly tight turn, and she went down. And then there was one thing at the very end where. Yahuwah Law, who was the Ethiopian bronze medalist, they had that sort of temporary straightaway that they built on some like wooden boards, and it looked like she got her shoe kind of caught in one of the boards. I don't think she would have beaten Jepchirchir anyway, and I think that probably happens with any shoe. It's just, you know, she hit a wrong a dead spot or something on the on the boards. But I, I'm kind of the opinion it was kind of fluky, but I do think the second fall really changed the race, because Yishana and Kosky looked like she was hurting a little bit, but Yashana looked pretty good and for them to just get dropped there and they never get back I mean I kind of think that maybe Yashana wouldn't have won but she might have been able to medal like I think it was pretty important for the outcome of the race
1: oh for sure I mean the world record holder is right there looking good and they've got how much left in the race 4k to go yeah I think for sure this impacted the thing because once they fell the top three went away and the other ones couldn't catch up and you could argue, Oh, if they're super fit, they should catch up, but you lose distance. You're shocked for a second. That's easier said than done. So I think it totally impacted the race, you know, a bit unfortunate, but I, one thing we've said is our sport needs more randomness. So stuff like this happens, is it fair? No, but like, I think it's kind of good to mix things up, have a fall, have something to talk about. Whereas, you know, if Chip Churcher just run away from everybody, for, you know, halfway through like it's a dominant performance but it's not much to talk about so
2: to me the the, the shoes had nothing to do with the falls i i think it was the the streets were, you know this is a, an old european city they're kind of narrow they were, they were doing some turns so they were and there it was a quality feel the depth of this thing was insane so you've got a big pack of people you know in tight quarters, it's not that unusual that that you know somebody goes down. I mean, look at the at the road rate when they ran the Northeast Regional Cross-Country Race in Buffalo last year on the road. There were some falls as well.
0: Yeah, and Robert, you mentioned the depth. Here's, I mean, incredibly fast times. And this is, I mean, look, we're living in a new era of shoe time. So we're going to see these stats continue to pop up when you get all of the best women in the world, many of the best women in the world, at the only global championships of 2020. It's not really a surprise, plus good conditions. Like, I don't think it's a shock that we had all these fast times, but we had six women under 66 minutes. So that's an that's, uh, all-time best for one race. We had the women's only world record, which has been broken now for the second time in two months by perez chip of 65-16 now. And we had nine women under 67. That's an all-time record. 65 of the 101 women finishers. Ran personal bests, eight set national records, and 68 of the 117 men's finishers, so that's 58% ran personal bests. I mean, that's that's pretty crazy.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Over 58% of both races set PRs.
0: 58% of women, sorry, 58% of men, 64% of, uh, of women set personal bests, that's correct.
1: Okay, we should have a black page for a day and just highlight like that. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, the weather was perfect, right? But that's just unbelievable. That shows...
0: Perfect weather, plus the super shoes, plus a great field, plus everyone, you know, half marathons, here's the thing, a lot of people run these things to tune up for something else. It's not always the big goal race. So in a year where this is the big goal race for all of them, runners are going to be able to run faster, but still, that's, that is still an absurd number that well over half of the fields uh, set personal bests.
2: Yeah, that's a good point that they're not often focused on that. But, John, I mean, I, I put the vast majority of the credits going to the shoes in that.
0: Bag. For sure. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But,
2: y'all were talking about the incredible depth of the World Half Marathon Championships. I'm more impressed by the depth of the Hokkanon Ekiden Half Marathon Road Race. This is the qualifier for the most prestigious race in all of Japan, the Hokon Ekiden. So, they held it off. There was some worry that the Echadens in Japan wouldn't go on. They're going on. They had the Prince's Academy, which is one of the biggest women's academies, this last weekend as well. But this is the qualifier for the men's big academy, And there, um, 173 men in one race broke 64 minutes. That compares to 81 who did that at the world half.
0: And these, 60, are, all, these are all college kids, right, Robert?
2: Um, correct. 61 men broke 63 minutes at this collegiate academy this isn't even the best teams for that and I don't think. I think this is just like the teams that aren't guaranteed entry. 61 men broke 63 minutes. 58 people did that at the world half. Now, when you get faster at breaking 62 minutes, only 13 people did it. But it's pretty uh, ridiculous. Juntendo University um dominated the competition, and they had all 10 men on their team. All 10 men on a college team ran 62-something or under 63. So Some of them might even run 61. That's pretty ridiculous, right?
0: Could yeah, could you imagine being a 62 minute guy like on a college cross country team and you're not even on the top 7? Like you're barely in the top 10 and you're a 62 minute guy. That's that is pretty nuts.
2: Now, David Monty of Race Results Weekly says that's like having 10 men who run sub 28:20 20, 20 for 10,000. I don't agree with that. He's probably getting that off some conversion chart. But like John Kellogg's conversion chart might have 63 minutes close to 28:20, 20, 20, but that was before the shoes. So <laughs> you know it's it's not quite equivalent to 2820
0: 20. uh speaking of echidna should we talk about there was an american echidna yesterday in michigan to my knowledge this is the first echidna that's taken place on us soil maybe you know maybe i'm incorrect here but it's certainly the first one i was aware of and you know the hansons Brooks john set this up yes robert
2: Explain to our viewers what an Akedent is. Most people do not know.
0: Ah, uh, yes. We, well, because we, you've
2: run in one. John, did you go to Japan to run in the-
0: I So we've we've all been on the Japan trip, I believe, the Ivy League alum trip. But I was a, I was only an alternate, so I did not get to run in the Akedent. Did you Same guys?
2: It. I you was were an, also an alternate as well, John. So an Akedent, folks, is like a relay race, but instead of having a baton, you wear a sash around your singlet, and then you... You, when you get to the next leg, you, you hand this to somebody else, they put it around their neck, and they run with that. Most academic traditional distance, is the marathon distance, or the most prestigious ones. So I guess they had three legs of women and three legs of men, John?
0: They did, yeah. It was 10K, 5K, and 6.1K, um, so times two. That adds up to 42.2, which is marathon distance. And the sash, Robert, is, is known as the Tasuki. And I was actually very impressed that, I think Lee Troop was like sewing these himself or something. They, they got all the sashes for all the teams. I thought that was impressive. Um, you know, the broadcast, they had a couple problems because there was a storm the night before and that knocked out some of their cameras. So it was basically just Samantha Hansen and Dathan Ritzenhain sitting and talking for two hours. But they did it. I think they did a commendable job in a very tough situation and it was a free stream. So uh, in terms of results, I look Now the bummer here, the Bauman Track Club was scheduled to run this event. And they were going to bring some of their big guns. Like Grant Fisher was supposed to run one of the legs. Shelby Houlihan was supposed to run their 10K leg. I mean, this would have been really awesome to see them come out and run. And unfortunately, last week, uh, some of the members of their women's team were exposed to someone with COVID-19. So uh, for safety reasons, they did not send anyone to this meet. Uh, And that's unfortunate. But of the teams that did compete, NAZ Elite was the favorite and they delivered fairly uh, a fairly comprehensive victory. You know, Tyler Day ran his pro debut on the first leg and he won the first leg, which was the 10k, 28:46. Lauren Parkcat then took the Tasuki and she won the second leg, 6 uh 6.1k she ran 19:19 and from there kind they kind of cruised home. Um so but I had I had fun following it. I was excited to see people running it. I, I'll admit I didn't recognize a ton of the names on the start list, but I was glad this event happened. I was glad there was a racing opportunity. It seemed like all the athletes enjoyed it. I think it was it was a good it was a win for the sport.
2: Well, I, I think it was cool that, that it existed and it, that all these teams showed up. And this shows you the kind of you can get some excitement in the sport if people decide something's important. If Jerry Schumacher. You know, says he's going to show up. And then all of a sudden, they gave this thing, um, sort of some legitimacy. Now, but I, I, I was t- jo- telling John yesterday, come on, John. I can't believe John's falling for this Bowerman Track Club. Keith Hansen, Kevin Hansen, like PR, uh, what do you call it, John? Like fraud. Like, do y'all really think that the Bowerman Track Club is going to show up to this thing? Of course not. Jerry and Keith got together, Keith Kevin, and Kevin, excuse me, Kevin, you know, and they said, hey, hey He's like, we're having this event. And Jerry's like, well, you know, I've been taking some PRs. Rojo and Let's Run's always bashing me for not racing. So how about this? I say I'm going to come out to the event. Everyone will be like, oh, Jerry never races. He's so good that he's deciding to race. It'll give you guys some publicity. And then at the last minute, and actually the athletes will be excited. He can even lie to his own athletes. Tell Shelby Hulhan, yeah, I'm going to let you run the 10,000. See how it looks. And then at the last minute, I'm going to act like there's a COVID scare and we can't come. So the event gains in legitimacy. Jerry Schumacher gains in praise. Everybody wins, except for the fans in the end.
0: Well, Robert, I know you love a good conspiracy theory, but the part of your theory where I think it just collapses to the floor is you think Jerry's doing this because he's being criticized on Let's Run and that if he does it, he won't be criticized anymore? A, people are always going to criticize him on Let's Run, and B, the idea that Jerry Schumacher, probably the best distance coach America has right now, would do anything because let's run says so it's just flat out absurd to me
1: john how dare you one of, one of the key talking <laughs> points of my book right here when it all cost was alberto salazar was like getting training tips for the boston marathon on the let's run forums
0: I love what happened to him weldon
1: but i mean this is a guy who had actually won how many boston marathons one or two one one
0: and three New York City marathons.
1: Yet he was saying, "Hey, the Let's Run message board people are saying like we really need to focus on the downhills and training." So, guys, keep posting, keep posting. Who knows who's reading what you're saying?
0: That was another crazy revelation. Was uh, according to this book, Steve Magnus had to talk him out of making Gaucha run eight by four hundred downhills two days before the 2011 Boston Marathon because he was so obsessed with the hills because of what he read on Let's Run. So that that's kind of crazy. She di- she didn't win, John. Maybe she should have done it.
2: John, first of all, I, in just a second, I'm going to talk about everyone is obsessed with Let's Run's opinion of you, including Department of Justice, Shawnee Miller, Weibo, etc. But let's go back to this accident for a minute. So NAZ Elite dominates 210. I mean, it's a marathon distance now, you know, admittedly, it's, it's a mixed gender, but
0: it was also yep. windy out there in Michigan. I'll say that as well. Okay.
2: But does anyone have any idea? I've added up those the splits for the men and the women, so the men ran ended up running a half marathon. The women ended up running a half marathon distance. Guess what the winning time was for the half marathon men? I mean, the elite. I had up there three guys.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna say it was sixty-one thirty.
2: Not bad, sixty-one twenty. I gonna be off for a few seconds because it doesn't quite add up to be perfect. I've got sixty-one twenty for the men and sixty-eight forty-four for the women. So what I would like to see, like next year, is like like Kipchoge just racing this, you know, solo. Like Kipchoge and Coast Guy solo against, you know,
0: Bridget Coast Guy. If she had run the world record, would have beaten Team Boulder and the Hanson's Brooks B team and Atlanta Track Club, which ended up being a DNF. So she would have placed 5th as a as an individual though it was pretty windy on the day.
1: Okay, John mentioned the Atlanta Track Club. They had a high schooler on their team. This could be a new revenue opportunity I think for sports. So, I guess at the last second Wilkerson given scratched. Or must he must have scratched before they got out there so Atlanta Track Club didn't have enough people so they they looked around town, found a local high school runner, Justin Walktail. First of all, John, I want you to apologize to this guy. I was receiving texts from someone. Hopefully you did not tweet this out. And he's like, oh my God, the high schooler had to fill in. He ran terrible 17 minutes. Actually, this kid did pretty good. He ran 15.21. That
0: is, all right, I, I know that. I made sure that was accurate before we published the article. The timing site was wrong. And they said 17.37 initially. And I thought, wow, that's. I feel really bad for the kid. Like he was pretty good. And they flew him out and he just ran badly. Also, Weldon... He didn't fill in for Wilkerson Given. Wilkerson Given was supposed to run the fifth leg, and he didn't end up running that. He scratched with a, a hamstring issue, and that's why they were a DNF. Um, Justin Wachtel, who was the third, he was the third leg of the 5K. Yeah, he ran 1521, so very good for a high schooler. Um, but the timing site was weird because that fifth leg, like a bunch of the men had slower times than the women on the fifth leg uh, compared to you know the equivalent Leg for the women, which was the second leg of six point one k. It was like this doesn't make sense. So then they fixed the times. I didn't publicly shame Justin Wachtel, but yes, he 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 certainly didn't bomb fifteen twenty one. That's a nice run for the high schooler.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I guess he wasn't a last second edition. This kid's like a f- full fledged team member now. But maybe each maybe next year's academic. You know, you have your team. We said we need more randomness. So you have your five, and then you've got like other people just standing there like Joe Blows, and it's just like random pull of the draw, like who gets to run for you. We'll auction the... We'll have like random let's run guys. We'll auction the spots off for a ton of money, and great idea, great idea.
0: All right, that doesn't really move me at all, but whatever.
2: Okay, I'm going to bring something up on the podcast that you guys may want to delete before we get to the next segment, but we never talked about this on the podcast, I don't think, but I don't want to appear to be closed-minded, but...
1: Hey, we decided not to delete Rojo's audio, but to make it Supporters Club members only. Membership has its privileges. Go to run.com slash subscribe to become a Supporters Club member.
2: I'll we'll just leave it at that. hope everybody's happy. Um, one thing about this record that I wasn't sure about was... Why weren't the Canadians there? Do you guys realize that Athletics Canada had a forty-two point two kilometer relay event? I mean, that's the same thing as, as an academic. They had a two eleven forty-six winning time. There was an all women's team that had actually Natasha Wardak, their ten k record holder, and Melinda Elmer, their marathon record holder. They ran a two twenty two thirty nine. So, is that Michigan basically Canada? Like, why weren't these two events combined into one?
0: Well, so Robert, I don't know, know if you've you've heard international travel uh, is kind of difficult these days. Go, going. You know, I don't think Canada wants people coming going to the US and then coming back because of the coronavirus pandemic. It's interesting.
2: Nobody cares about borders. Everybody wants to bring you know break down the break down the border until we actually have a pandemic. I don't want to get into border policy, John, but
0: hmm, it's, it's weird how that happens, how people don't want to travel as much during a pandemic. Hmm, that that's so strange. For the record,
1: the US and Canada border is closed right now, Robert. Is closed. But
2: kudos to Athletics Canada for having their national relay championship. And also, I want to, I, I want to get, I want to congratulate USATF. We said all fall they would not be having a national championship, and they did right. The, the U.S. track nationals ended last weekend. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That was Italy, folks. That was one item that we didn't get to. Italy's finished their track and field championships. Unlike Max Siegel, they showed innovation. They headed over like three different um, weeks they had certain events one week another week we've talked about this before but it has finished up so all these countries could have national championships except for the grand old
1: u.s of a so back to the academy you guys are playing up tyler day's pro debut he's what an NCA champion
0: not an ncaa well team champion not individual i guess,
1: I guess he's an NCA. i guess what runner up
0: uh he best finished of third at 2017 ncaa cross i believe
1: Okay, NCAA Indoor 5K American record holder or something like There we that. go.
0: There's I think that's it. That's the charm, Weldon.
1: Well, the tweet said it. The headline just says, Hoke and Aziz wins inaugural pro Academy. And I'm like, okay, great. The guy runs at 28:46. It's windy. But it's sort of what's expected. Like, let's not get carried away. Who's getting carried away? That, uh, fine. But that's just one thing that comes across from this book. Alberto was trying to play in the biggest leagues. And I think some of the U.S. teams are content to play. I don't want to say in the kiddie pool or whatever. They have big goals, but like it's just different expectations. And also, if you're only going to play in the big boys' pool or big girls' pool, Alberto clearly thought he had to do something else.
0: But Bowman was all right. I don't. I don't totally understand the point you're trying to make here, but. Hoka was, NAZ was ready to go up against Bauman, the premier team in the country. They were ready. They were, Ben Rosario talked to him. He was excited. He's like, I want to go and race these guys all out. Bauman didn't show up. I mean, how can we criticize them? They thought they were racing Bauman until like three days before the race and then they pulled out.
1: No, I'm not criticizing him. I think like Ben's got his eyes set very high. His team has their eyes set very high. But I think a lot of times when we evaluate us performances were like oh wow look at them they won it's a twenty-eight forty ten 10k no other way you cut it sure it's windy blah 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 and no other country do we get excited about a 2840 10k i i mean i'm not i don't think anyone not that we're crazy excited i'm just saying like we grade everything in a curve in the united states and fortunately we've had a lot of americans recently bust the curve but just sort of a big i don't know reading the book watching this thing i mean i was very excited to watch this thing and then i'm like wait, why am I getting excited? Like, as Robert said, like, Kipchoge, let's have him just race these guys on their own. He probably, you know, cleans up. So it's just an, an interesting perspective and reminder that there's a very big pond out there.
2: Well, if, if we only talked about truly international world-class runners, we'd have about one American to talk about. Well, then come on, let's be honest. I mean, if you're talking about world-class times, the Princess Accident, which is the women's um you know one of the big women's seconds they ran 217.03 all women so john what would that have placed them in this thing
0: well that would have placed them lost
2: oh, okay all
0: right rob, rob i actually want to talk speaking of world-class women uh who the new york city marathon is going on right now as we speak and it's a virtual event this year obviously but, you know, you can log times, I think, up to and including race day, which would have been November 1st. I'm not entirely sure on the timeline. All I know is you can run times right now. And New York, the New York Roadrunners actually, like, I assume, paid a couple of pros to run a virtual edition of the race, including Emily Sisson. And you know her time. Well, Weldon, I want you to guess what Emily Sisson ran for her virtual New York City Marathon.
1: Like, is she trying? She, so they're trumpeting what, what she ran. Like I get any hints of what's going on? I, I did see this, I'm in you know, I'm in the New York Greater Metro area. I did see on the news they were talking about the New York City virtual marathon's gonna be going on. I guess it's already going on. They didn't mention her time, unfortunately. I didn't see her.
0: Just like, guess. It's not a big deal. Just you know, what do you think she ran?
1: Two forty-five. Oh
2: my god. Wasn't quite that bad. Two thirty eight, but I I I don't understand this. This is Rojo's rant of the week. Whatever money they paid her needs to be paid back. I love Emily. Ever since Ray Tracy told me when she was in college that she was the future of U.S. marathoning, I've been rooting for her, but she takes money from the New York Roadrunners. They're laying off, like, a ton of their staff, and then they pay her to do something to promote it, and she runs 238. Like, that's not even a good training run pace. Like, this, I mean, I I don't know. I have said, though, though, if you're training and you get hurt, I always thought the runner should be paid a little bit, but come on Emily, like donate it to charity or something. I mean,
1: Robert, how like whatever. Like I said, 245, like no one said she had to go time trial. Did she say it was an all-out performance? They said she's running the New York City virtual marathon. Doesn't mean she's racing it all-out race. Well, then, like, they promoted this in the spring or in the
2: summer, just like they do when they announce an elite's running regular race. Right, John? They promoted it like they would a, a, a normal elite coming into the Th-
0: They acknowledge that it's a virtual edition. And Robert, question for you. We're talking about it right now. Isn't the whole idea of signing pro athletes to these events to get people talking about them? And look, the most famous, best, and most influential running podcast in the entire country is talking about the New York City Virtual Marathon. So i would yes, John- give some credit for that.
2: Normally, you do PR because you want good PR. To me, this whole thing shows you the stark divide between London and New York. London, you're number uno. You're the king. You're the queen. You're whatever you want to be. You are the premier marathon in the world. New York, you can act like you're the premier marathon in the world, but you're not. So this is, I mean, London's having a truly elite race. New York's not even having a truly elite virtual race.
0: I don't know. I think 238, that's a, that's a decent effort for, you know... I mean, I'm I'm sure if she was, like, going all out and trying to maximize speed and everything, she'd run, you know, in the 220s somewhere. But 238, that's that's a solid up-tempo effort for 26.2 miles.
2: Back to what we were talking about just a minute ago, Weldon says we should only talk about these super elite times. So should we, should we have never mentioned... Like, imagine if Weldon was competing right now back in the early days of Let's Run. Would we not talk about his running at all? Because... Do you guys know what like an elite split? Do you know what a like a do you know what pace they're running in this world half for ten k? Keep on going for twenty k and then keep going. Like you do realize, well, it's sub twenty eight. they are like twenty seven fifty five at ten k? So for the women, they're like sixty two flat. So uh, they're, I, run, we, we should if if you can't break thirty one minutes for ten k and twenty eight minutes for ten k and really for double that distance, we should not talk about you and let's run anymore. Sorry,
1: I'm not saying that. First of all, I was a hack runner. I acknowledged, like, I mean, I got fourth in the U.S. twice. I paced a woman's world record. But, like, those were tremendous accomplishments for me. I'm not claiming to be the world's best. I, don't. I didn't say we only should talk about those performances. I'm just saying, what is your focus? Reading that book on Alberto, the focus was not to be the top Americans. Like, he was disip- – Kira Goucher got third in the Boston Marathon. He was pissed off.
0: I would argue that was the wrong opinion. She got third, and was that 2009? I think, which was a pretty good run for her. And he's just like, "Oh no, that's a fa-. like." I don't. I think you're taking the wrong lessons here. Well, then,
1: I'm not saying he should have been pissed off with the run. I think one of the runs might have been after she gave birth. Yeah. So, but I'm saying, look at the success this group has. Now, you could argue it's because of these other
0: things okay, but, that he's doing. Look at the success, but, but, like, but,
1: but, uh, Robert and the Bowerman guys too. They're content, They want to be the best in the world. And they do it totally differently.
2: They're not, Jerry doesn't boil them, bully them and shame them. I feel like you can be positive and put things in perspective. If you run a good race and get beat, you got beat. It's not necessarily something to be ashamed of. I mean, one of my greatest runners at Cornell, Jimmy Weiner, was crying at the end of his fifth year because he didn't win the Ivy League because he couldn't beat Ben True. I'm like, dude, you had a good run. That was a problem. that We always talked about winning. We were a winning program. So if you didn't win, he viewed it as failure. I don't think that's necessarily healthy. Yes, you see all these college basketball coaches resigning, and I'm like, do they think this is kumbaya? To get some of these people to be good, yes, it may be helped to be a dick, but I don't know, if sir, if it's really healthy in the long term
1: where did I say that? I mean, I, I celebrate the whole thing on let's run.com, like where your dreams become reality, getting the most out of your own talent. Like, don't get me wrong. That's what our website is about. Like that you can do your best, that you can get better. I don't even know how we got back on the subject. The point is the top of the world. It is such another level. And if you're content to just be the first American, I, I'm not trying to criticize these events at all. I'm just saying it's very clear in reading that book that Alberto's had very different goals. Just, and maybe a man, uh, uh, not healthy obsession with it and let him to do certain things that he shouldn't have done. With, but like, the, clearly the goal is like, you have to be the best in the world. I don't think that's the right goal. But I think also in us evaluating the performances, like we grade everything on a curve, which I'm just sort of pointing out the obvious. We're not really disagreeing.
0: We try to put things in context. and I think generally we, we do a pretty good job of it. Anyway, let's move on. One thing, so this was really big news that came out earlier this week. It's not a result or anything, but Salwa I Nasser, who was suspended earlier this year for whereabouts violations, the 400-meter world champion from 2019, the third fastest woman in history, she ran 48-14. Sorry, yeah, 48-14 in that meet. She has been cleared uh, by uh, the, a disciplinary tribunal. You know, AIU, they handed her the suspension, she appealed it, and she's been cleared. And the details of this case, they're a little confusing, but essentially what it came down to, she had four whereabouts failures in a little over a year, um, in under a year, one of them was backdated. So the key was, in order for this conviction to stick, it came down to this mistest she had on April 12th. And her explanation was, April 12th, 2019, her explanation was, you know, she was at home the whole time and the tester knocked on the wrong door. And if you look at the details of the case, it does kind of seem like, it seems like that's what happened. She listed the wrong building. He found the building that she was in anyway, but he knocked on a door that was next to the number 11. And it turns out that was the door to a storage shed and the number 11, which is her apartment number, it was actually referring to a parking space. There was another door that he didn't go through. And if he had gone through that, he would have found her apartment. So that test was removed. And she was cleared. It's it's very confusing. We do have a big breakdown on the site. But what do you guys, I mean, do you guys think the right call was made? What do you make of all this?
2: Let, let me get to this. It is very confusing. It took John and I about all day to write it and, and edit this article, to try to understand it, and it was still confusing. Now I understand a little bit better. One, I think that her being cleared was the correct decision. <laughs> you get suspended if you miss three drug tests. <laughs> and the second these drug tests... They think that the guy knocked on a storage shed and on her door to her apartment. That's the that's the big picture story. That should not be a missed drug test. Whatever. Yes, there's reason we we, we can go over like she didn't help them. She didn't label it. The intercom wasn't working, etc. But if that's the case, you shouldn't do it. But the the bigger picture I have is the big takeaways here moving forward. It's this whole case shows you the absurdity of how the whereabouts system has been implemented, and we should not have these problems moving forward. As I've repeatedly said, the doubt about what happened in these cases is absurd. John, this happened in March and April of 2019. She didn't get test get, didn't didn't get popped or, or or originally charged until June of this year. It was more than a year later. For three tests in March and April of last year, what took them a year? As I said, John, it's totally unacceptable that you wait 15 months and then you still get the case wrong. If you're going to wait that long, people are like, why did they wait? Why did they let it run? Because I assume they don't want to get it wrong and they still got it wrong. But the delay in these cases is absurd. and particularly if you're going to wait that long, you've got to have an airtight case. They clearly didn't have an airtight case. But moving forward is what I want to focus on. We should not have these debates, John. The person who is taking the drug test should have a cell phone out and be video recording exactly where they are and doing that and then showing it to everybody. I also think the whereabouts system on their phone, on the athlete's phone, if the athlete's opt-in, should not be a requirement, but if you want to opt-in, the phone will record where you are for the one hour a day that you say you are. So if you say my my time is 6 to 7, the phone will automatically come on and record your location between 6 and 7. So everybody will know where everybody is. There'll be no doubt about it. Well, 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 we'll, well,
0: hold on. Hold on, though, Robert. If you do that, let's say an athlete decides to go somewhere to avoid a test, but she leaves her phone in her apartment and leaves it turned on for that one hour. She can say, oh... My phone was here. The tester messed up somehow. Like, I didn't hear them knocking. Okay. My phone was here. I well, feel like then, that's a dangerous... That's a. Okay.
2: Well, okay. Maybe the GPS on the whereabouts thing isn't good. They could cheat. But if you have a video of the tester knocking on the door, you would know that. Right. The other question I have, though, the one technicality question I have, John, is do we know... You actually read this whole 100-and-something page report, 200 pages, whatever it was. So we're talking about three tests between March and April of 2019. When you miss one of these tests in March, how quick, how long do they tell, take you to tell you that you missed it? Did she know at the end of April that she was sitting on two tests? So, like, How quickly is she told about that? To me, that's a big difference if I, if you're not told.
0: Yeah, that, that's very interesting to me, Robert, because this wasn't mentioned in the case. And this was an issue Gabby Thomas, I talked to her, one of us who was suspended and then had her suspension thrown out earlier this year for the same thing she said one of her tests, it took her, I think 62 days to be notified. Like it is not uncommon for these to have lengthy delays being notified for a test. And I'm fairly confident that, you know, if you get a third whereabouts failure, but you weren't notified about the second one, by the time the third one happens, I don't think the third one can count. And that's kind of weird to me because one of them took place on March 12th. And then another one was a filing failure on March 16th. Then the third one was in April 12th. So, they didn't say that I mean the fact that they're charging her, I think it seems and that wasn't a defense that NASA leveled that she didn't know she was sitting on two missed tests, but it is interesting to me the very you know quick turnaround they had with all the all three happening in a row certainly you could say it's possible. She didn't well, I she to I mean, it, it,
2: If it's taking them 15 months to charge her, are they quickly telling fine? I think if you miss this test, they need to notify you within a day that you missed this test. This is one, this is two, because you need to change your behavior drastically. Yes. I agree. When you're sitting on three. Now Shawnee Miller Awibo, who was the silver medalist, who was a runner-up, she is not happy about this. And she has gone off on Twitter on a rant about this decision. Um, and she has cited Jonathan Galt's work. So we're pleased to, re- to see that the, one of the greatest 400-meter runners in the world is a Let's Run fan. She's a fan of Jonathan Galt's work. John, what did she exactly say in her tweet?
0: So it's actually Instagram is where she posted this. And it was you a know, fairly lengthy post, but here's the crux of it. She says, I cry foul play, and I believe there is a deeper explanation on how the World Athletics, along with the AIU, allowed this to carry on to this extent. Please, President Sebastian Coe, I would like to believe that we, the athletes, deserve a response from you detailing each step of all the failures that unfolded from this case begun. In my opinion, this federation has shown us over and repeatedly they have not put their best foot forward to protect the athletes and keep the sport clean. So her biggest complaint, I think there are some athletes who are complaining, oh, she should have been left off, you know, she filed the wrong building. But I think the bigger complaint here for Shawnee Miller-Webo is, why was why did it take her them four hundred and nineteen days to charge her with three whereabouts failures? I mean, her third one was in April twenty nineteen. She raced against Shawnee Miller Webo in the World Championship final in October twenty nineteen. How how is it possible that you've had an athlete who's been sitting on three whereabouts failures for almost six months and she's still allowed to compete? And
2: you. Whoa, could, the, uh- I'm glad she got to compete because she's been, vind- I wouldn't say vindicated. We don't know that she's not a cheat. But in my opinion, she should not have been banned for that second right. test. I think that's so a... F- you you a want dreadful. to know why the debate is? The debate, theoretically, is so they don't ban an innocent athlete or someone who shouldn't be banned like Gabby Thomas, you know. But, but it shouldn't take this long, John. There should be no doubt. You've got to go forward. This should be done very quickly. I mean, God, hire me and I'll tell you how to do this. It isn't that hard to figure out.
0: No, I, I agree with is- you, Robert. I think it's a good thing that... You know, ultimately, if this is the outcome, yeah, we didn't have an athlete who was eligible to compete not can being able to compete because of this.
2: But can we get we need to stop backdating stuff if it's a different type of failure. We need to have it all happen on the day of. But can we just drop the Christian Coleman one right now? Just drop it right now. We need to drop every whereabouts failure from now on and start over after the Olympics, because if Coleman goes, it's going to piss me off. He could be a drug chief for all I care, but they're letting everybody else, Gabby Thomas, Nasser, whatever, some are technicality, some are legitimate, whatever. We can't be having this. The whole system has lost its credibility in the the short term. Let Cohen run in the Olympics. We can debate whether he's the villain like Justin Gatlin or not, but it's good theater and good for the sport.
0: I don't think this is good for the sport. It might be more entertaining for someone who runs a track and field website, but I don't think any of this is good for the sport.
1: Wow, John. When Run dot com started, Robert was like the angry young guy. We bash the drug cheats, and we're like, track and field news turns a blind eye to the cheats. They just like they look it over because you get good performances. And now Robert's like, it's good for the sport. of Christian Coleman's there, but I agree, everything needs to be above board, and they need to make major changes. Uh, Hanlon's razor. Never attribute to malice what can adequately explain be explained by stupidity. So I don't think there was some like grand scheme here to like, why would you wait like six months after the test to charge someone and then charge them and drop it like as part of some cover up? It just doesn't make sense. But a few things going forward. One. If someone's got three missed under your system in the same calendar year, they have to be charged within like about a month. Get it over with, boom, done. She should, never should have run the worlds until it had been cleared up. I mean, that was a huge mistake. I don't blame Shani Miller Weibo for being pissed off. Secondly, I think if you miss it, if your form isn't filled out, don't backdate it. The day of the, you're supposed to be tested, that's the day that counts. This backdating step's confusing people. It's not that complicated. Let's just do better going forward. I think in this case... I don't know it sucks, but she got very fortunate not to be banned, but I think they made the arbitrators made the right decision
0: well the one other thing that I thought was interesting from this case is she has never filled out her own whereabouts information. She apparently tried to log into the system it wouldn't let her log in, and they ended up the Bahrain Athletics Association appointed some handler to to manage it for her but to me i I mean I don't know if I'm one of the best athletes in the world, I want the ability to change my whereabouts at the drop of a hat, if my location changes, if something unexpected happens, I would think they would be able to work with her, her and Wada to figure this out because one of the whereabouts failures that was cited in this case, she said she couldn't, she was cited with it because she tried to change her whereabouts when her plans changed at the last second. And by that point, it was too late. Her window was for 6 a.m. the next morning. Her handler was already asleep and he couldn't update it in time and she got a missed test. So to me, I don't know. I mean, when you're ultimately responsible for all of your whereabouts as an athlete, I feel like they should work with her or she should try to work with them to make sure she can fix that and you know, and try to take it more seriously.
1: Yeah. The whereabouts stuff is crazy. And shout out to Christian Coleman's dad. He was a former podcast listener until we blasted Christian for his first three, whatever missed test when he was almost banned last year, but maybe now he's on the Rojo train. I don't know. Rojo, I mean, reading this Nike book, anything's possible. Roger, you getting some payments under the table? Or is, this, or is let, the Let's Run journalism sort of, sort of mainstream media journalism now, whereas, like, if you, there's stuff about a presidential candidate you don't like, you just sort of ignore it? Is that what we just sort of do now? People want to pay us? Or teams we don't like, we just ignore the stuff? It's not pretty, but I think Nasser should have been cleared here, so.
2: I just don't understand how it took a year to, to get to this. And one thing about the report, John, that the tester wasn't, sh- they weren't sure if the tester said that the glass door, you know, next to the storage test was locked or not. If they, if they meant if it was locked or closed. How are they not sure? 15 months later, they don't know if the tester, like, is that a language problem? Like, in 15 months, shouldn't you be able to figure that out in one day? I mean, come on. This is absurd. Anyways, speaking of people citing let's run.com, not, not just the Shawnee Miller Webo, the, Track and field program at what? What college is this, John? Where I've been
0: cited, Franklin Pierce.
2: Yes. So last, John, tell people the story. What happened here? I can't even find the details.
0: Yeah, I
1: love how Robert does that. It's like when he doesn't quite know the details, he hopes John knows them right off the bat. And just th- oh, John, help us out.
0: Here. Well, Cece Telfer, as you remember, last year there was quite a lot of consternation because she's a tr- transgender woman who was allowed to compete and then won the D two national title in the four hundred meter hurdles. And Yes.
2: So what that means, folks, is Cece Telfer ran on the men's track team under a different name for her first three years at Franklin Pierce University and then on the women's track as a senior and won the national title.
0: But now there is a ruling. I think there there's some conservative women's alliance or something. Okay, so I found the details. Okay. The
2: Concerned Women for America, the CWA, received notice that the U.S. Department of Education for Civil Rights has resolved CWA's civil rights complaint in women's sports against Franklin Pierce University. And they've agreed that Franklin Pierce has agreed to rescind their policy that allowed Cece Telford to compete. And the interesting thing about this press release is it links to yours truly article on the what no one is telling you about. An athlete who ran NCAA track as a man for three years just won NCAA women's title. So maybe my article was noticed by this group. And thank you. I'm saving women's sports one program at a time. What I don't understand is if this is a violation of Title IX, they're saying basically this rule is discriminatory, discriminatory against, you know, people born as women is why don't they just do this same suit against the entire NCAA? instead of just doing it school by school.
0: Yeah, I, th- I thought that was... Well, maybe because they didn't think they could win. Because I thought that was weird. Like, Franklin Pierce, okay, they've got it... What are the chances Franklin Pierce gets another transgender athlete who starts winning titles? I feel like it's fairly unlikely. Like, if they actually wanted to make a change, they, it's still legal The NCAA still has this policy that transgender women can compete. And if they want to enact real change, that would be who you would go after.
1: Yeah, this is one fascinating... because One, no one... At least... In the mainstream running news, really knew this thing was going on, right? You guys had no idea the suit was going on. But I'm surprised this hasn't been picked up everywhere because there is a strong contingent of people who believe transgender athletes should be able to compete in whatever division they want to compete in. And even some say without suppressing hormones. Now, the NCA re- reco- doesn't have any guidelines, but they say you have to be under hormone suppression to compete as a self, as a self trans woman. But it's interesting because the angle is like, let's not ignore the science. A trans woman is a biological man. And so for protecting, if sex is done on biological, if sp- if sports classifications are done in biological sex, like the argument easily can be made scientifically that this should not be allowed, but I've never really heard it. It's more kind of hardcore extreme to enforce this, but, Five years ago, nobody would have thought of this. They'd be like, of course this is how you divide it, male-female. Let's do it that way. And we've gone way over the other side saying you you can pick which division you compete in. But this would have hugely broad implications if transgender women can't compete at the NCAA level because that's against the NCAA policy. I'm just surprised we haven't seen like NPR, Washington Post, or somebody write more about this. I mean, John, did woke Twitter not get all over this? I'm surprised there wasn't a lot of outrage.
0: I haven't seen much. I mean, it is D2, but... Yeah, I haven't seen uh, a lot of coverage. Sh- shall we move on to... Uh, we have some NCAA cross-country to discuss, actually. The, the de facto 2020 NCAA cross-country championships, in fact... For the men. For the men. For the men took place at the OSU Invitational last weekend. And we had NAU, BYU, Oklahoma State rule there. Colorado competing unattached. Dave Smith was very proud the Oklahoma State coach... I didn't include the stat in my preview, but he wanted me to. You know, he's like, "This is a great stat. Nine of the last eleven NCAA championship teams uh, on the men's side. So the schools responsible for nine of the last eleven NCAA titles were at this meet on Saturday. And unfortunately, you know, there wasn't a, a live broadcast, but you know, th- they ran. You know, not everyone ran their full full squad, but there were still a lot of really good guys. And uh NAU got the win." Now, we went in and scored this as if Colorado was running, and we also added in Clayson Shumway because he was running unattached, but he still has cross eligibility that he's going to use in the winter. for, you know, It's too complicated, but we added him in. So if you redo the scores that way, NAU wins the meet with 42 points, then BYU second, 50, Oklahoma State third. Oklahoma State looking like maybe they could challenge for the podium after you know several years away. But And then individually, Luis Crealva of NAU got the win over Connor Mance. Connor Mance was third NCAA cross last year. I think a lot of people had him pegged as the favorite coming into the season. Casey Klinger, two-time NXN champ. He comes back, his first race back from his mission. So this was his first race in three years, and he got third just eight seconds out of the win, so that was good for him. Did you guys have any takeaways? Did you you know follow this meet at all? Are you excited about it? Any thoughts?
2: Well, my my one thought is Oklahoma State men look pretty good. And I think it ties into a thread that was on the message board. Someone says, coaches, how do you manage to succeed when you're coaching all three seasons with the kids? And the answer is, if you're a good parent, you don't really succeed that well when you have young kids. And Dave Smith's had two young kids the last couple years, and they're now getting to be school age. And guess what? His program's going back up. So Dave Smith is a very good coach. I'm glad to see that his men are getting to roll in again. Um, on on that front, but I'm more impre- more interested in who's not been running on the men's side and on the women's side this year. No, Nico Young in this event, John. I mean, I, I would think he would be a, a an instant score for Nau, and it's concerning to me that he's not running. Do we know if he's hurt? What's going on? I can understand taking the long game with someone like that. People are saying that you want to be cautious with the big talent, but it doesn't make any sense really unless he's hurt because. One, this running in the fall is not impacting your eligibility because of COVID-19, so you could always redshirt. And two, if Nico Young has a type of career that people are expecting of him, he's not going to be running a fifth year at NCAS. He probably wouldn't even be running a fourth year. He'd probably go pro early. So to me, is he injured? And then on the women's side, um, you know, we've got a number of super talented women um, at NC State that haven't shown up this year.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I tried getting in contact with Mike Smith before the meet because I saw that Nico Young wasn't in the entries. Uh, He never got back to me. So I'm not really sure. But yeah, Robert, that's a good point. Like, you know, you would expect him to run because there's no eligibility issues this fall doesn't count. Like if he's healthy, you would you would expect him to run. And I think we're kind of bummed not to see him. Um, So hopefully all's going well there. But And then Caitlin Tui, I don't know, there are rumors floating around the message board. She's had some sort of leg surgery or something. I don't know if any of that's true. I don't know why she's not running this fall either. Um, That's definitely notable. I I would say BYU, you know, you look at the results, NAU, so they get some revenge for last year's defeat at NCAAs. Um, But BYU also, you know, neither of these teams are at full strength. You mentioned, though, Nico Young. There was also no Theo Quacks or Blaze Farrow for Northern Arizona. Then BYU, they have one guy who got COVID early this year and another guy who had his tonsils out because they didn't think there was going to be any races. And I believe those two were Brandon Garniker and Matt Owens. And they finished 35th and 51st. And they were 42nd and 45th at NCAAs last year. So I think Ed Eyestone said they're going to be a lot... you know, He expects them to be a lot fitter in March. So I think it should be another close showdown, hopefully at NCAAs in March. We'll see if anyone else emerges. Colorado didn't really look that great in this meet but they always seem to put it together osu will be in the podium mix i mean stanford who knows i think they will see what happens to them they're always pretty solid but yeah
1: yeah for me just big picture i thought oklahoma state did better than i expected they were close to nau and okay maybe they're missing some people but when i when i don't think too much about ncas and just do quick analysis i expect nau to win now every single year so I was shocked they lost last year. I think it's better for the sport, but they're the favorites. Nothing has changed. It'll be interesting though. These other teams are close. I'm glad we had a meet, but you know, winter cross country is going to be it's going to be a good thing because who knows what's going to be going on with indoor track. The one thing that seems to be safe everyone agrees is outdoor s- sporting events. So uh, looks like we're gonna have a cross country season. I think we can have a cross country season. Maybe people want to travel even if COVID really ramps up. Because young people competing outdoors, hopefully, is something that we can keep going.
0: Yeah, I, I had a couple questions just about cross country in general here. The course—I don't know if you guys saw the finish. It's actually you know a fairly significant downhill to the finish, maybe the last hundred meters or so, and there are some hills. Like it's a, it looks like a great course. It looks really nice, bunch of uphills and downhills. I think it's going to be a great spot for NCAA's, but. The downhill finish I thought was really interesting because you don't see too many... I can't think of many cross-country races I ever ran where there was actually a downhill going all the way to the finish line. Usually it's either a slight uphill or it's flat. Do you guys support this? Do you think it makes it more interesting? Any thoughts on having a downhill finish at NCAAs?
1: I hadn't thought much about it. I I, I didn't see the race. Um, John, you said there was no stream of it?
0: I saw There was no live stream. I think FlowTrack has an archived one behind their paywall, but... I did see a highlight on Twitter. I mean, Luis Grialva when he's kicking against Conor Mance, it's pretty exciting. He really opens it up and gets moving. I thought it was pretty exciting.
2: I always find it funny, though. John, John like, comments now, like, if an event doesn't have a stream. He acts like it's, like, a God's right to have a stream of everything. Like, what is it really... When you're watching a cross-country race, you're watching the leaders in the individual race, and then you're getting, like... Split updates from a timing device for the team. So, uh, to me, if you don't see these events on TV live, it's it's not a big deal.
0: I'm just providing context to our listeners that I was not. I like silly
2: courses. I like non boring courses. So I'm excited it has a downhill finish. That's my take. And and the next, the we're going to have some new hosts for NCAs. Um, it's been announced that well, we already knew that Oklahoma State was going to be hosting this winter, then Florida State in the fall, and then Oklahoma State's going to get it again in 2022. But 2023, Virginia, UVA, they haven't hosted since 1987. They'll be hosting again. Then Wisconsin, 24, and Missouri, they've never hosted. They'll be getting it in 25. So I'm excited about this. I've heard great things about the panorama course at Virginia. Um, you know, Vin Lananna, USATF head, former Stanford great coach, former Oregon great coach, former Dartmouth great coach. When the NCAAs were last held, at Virginia in 1987, Dartmouth got second under Lynn Lanana. Now he's heading UVA. And Lanana's got his teams rolling again. I mean, v- Virginia's been one of the surprises uh, so far this year. And I saw a thread on Let's Run when, when when it was announced that UVA be hosting in 2023. Someone posted, someone's like, UVA won't even make the meet. They lost a lot of seniors from last year. And I'm like, are you guys stupid? Do you guys realize what a good coach Vin Lanana is and what a good recruiter is? By the way, there's a podcast listener who wants to announce – his college decision i apologize he emailed me but he was committed to uva he wanted to announce it on the podcast maybe we can fake it we can act like
0: he hasn't does announced. this podcast this doesn't really mean much if he doesn't have a name like who well, i don't who's want to comm- say his name because
2: if, next week if i have him on as a host if you haven't publicly announced your decision as uva i will do it on the podcast next week
0: okay well we should get in contact to him I'm excited though I like to see the meet moving around I, I will admit it was weird not seeing Terre Haute I mean Terre Haute hosted last year now they're not going to host again until 2026 at the earliest which is kind of strange for me but I think OK State they they look like they have a great course there I think Dave Smith has a lot they put a lot of money into it he's you know he has a great passion for the sport I'm excited that they're hosting and I think it was fair to give them 2022 just in case there doesn't end up being a championships this year. Now they have that as insurance. Uh, Virginia, I think that'll be a great... I mean, UVA is a great school. It's a great... Uh, you know, Vin Lanana, I'm sure they'll put on a great meet there. Wisconsin, they did a fantastic job when they hosted in 2018. So, great college town. Uh, I'm excited to go there in 2024. Then Missouri, well, you know, I don't really know much about it, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see, I guess. I don't really know anything about the Missouri course. What about track? They just announced... So we have one new site indoors. NCAA indoors will be in Virginia Beach in 2025. They just built a new facility there. Otherwise, I think it's just Albuquerque, you know, Fayetteville College Station, a place that we've been before. And then outdoors, Oregon has been awarded the rights to every NCAA meet through 2027, except for 2023 where it's going back to Austin. So that means Oregon, by the time that's over, Oregon will have hosted 12 of the last 14 NCAA outdoor championships and Ken go had a column in the Oregonian. He was basically saying they should make Oregon, the permanent site for NCAA outdoors, just like they do with, you know, Omaha and the college world series. Do you guys buy, do you think this is right? I mean, they've basically made it semi-permanent 12 or 14. Anyway, do you think he's right or should it, should it move around?
2: I think it should move around. I don't like it. Um, Hey, as well journalists, we like to go to different cities. But I think there's too much, there's gonna be track fatigue in Eugene. You're gonna have you should not have USAs, NCAs, and worlds every year in Eugene. It's just it's gonna be a, do you want to be the total niche sport? Move it around a little bit. You can get some high schoolers to go. You know, when they had the NCAs in New Orleans, when Weldon and I were in high school, we drove there from Dallas. We went to the thing after our high senior year of high school, we got exposed to the sport. I mean, I guess this stuff's on TV now, I and mean, maybe it wasn't back on TV back then. But I don't know. Do it every other year, or I definitely think it should be once, at least once every four years. There, but you know, a, a part of the, of of the crowd is people like to go to vacation to USA's, or you know, they take their family on a trip and. Mom or dad's a track fan, and they agree to like hit the track meet and then they'll do something else. Well, if it's in Eugene every year, you're not going to get the casual vacationer going to whatever meet it is, whether it is USA's or NCA's. So, from a purely selfish standpoint, yes, the coaches like it because Eugene is good in the sense of, although they don't really do this for NCA's, you could have distance running at night under good conditions and sprinting during the day when it's hot.
1: I'm fine with it being in June every once in a while. I think it should move. There is is track fatigue. Now, maybe we'll all go out there and see the new Hayward Field and be like, holy F, this is the best thing ever. Never move it. But you started seeing track fatigue before in Eugene. And we're going to have, I assume, a ton of USA meets there as well, unless we actually go to California where there's supposedly a nice facility. But some of these attendants at some of these track meets in Eugene started to dip. Now, maybe with the new stadium, people will just go to Eugene no matter what because it is a great place to have a track meet. But I would have been fine moving it around.
0: Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I, th- I think Austin was a great site. Like, yeah, it was a little hot for the distance races, but I thought they did a good job. Austin's a really exciting city. I think it's fun to have a meet there. But one thing I would say, like, Eugene, every other year even, they ha- look, they have this m- amazing new stadium, track-specific stadium. It's probably going to be the best stadium in the United States, if not the world, for track and field. They want to make use of it. I understand that. But I, my question is, who else is... Are other schools bidding? Like, I'm kind of curious. They gave it to Austin. Like, Texas A&M just built this big new outdoor track and field facility. Arkansas hosted in 2009. They haven't hosted since then. Like, are these other schools bidding? Because if if no one else is bidding, then of course they're going to give it to Oregon every year. But, like, Arkansas and Texas A&M, I thought you guys were big-time powers. I guess A&M's hosting indoors, and so is Arkansas. But what about these outdoor tracks they built? I thought they were built to host championships.
1: Yeah, I'm curious about the bidding part, so so if anybody knows the details of what's required in a bid, email us, pod at run.com. All right, we're going to reward those of you still listening with the biggest news of the week. It's also the threat of the week. And famed ultramarathoner, Killian Jornet, has made his debut on the roads at 10K in Norway, and he has taken down the track star, Jakob Ingebrigtsen. Yes, they both raced at the Hitte Planmila, 10k in Norway. And Jorne runs 2959. Good thing he broke 30 minutes, just barely. Whereas Jakob paced his brother and then jogged it in at the end like 35 minutes. But officially he has beaten Jakob Ingerson in by four minutes or five minutes. A couple years ago, Jorné said he would never run a road race, so he's we're allowed to change our minds about things, John. In today's age, people act like you can't change your mind, evolve your views. It's good that he took the roads. I'm glad he took on a new challenge. He said he's hoping to run a little bit faster, 29.30 or so. Any thoughts on this performance, John?
0: Uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Killian Journey, because I generally don't follow his exploits. I know he's amazing, but I don't really follow his exploits that much. 29.59, I don't know. Yeah, I probably would have expected him to run slightly faster, but that's not... Awful. I don't expect him to go out there and blow something away and run 28 low and anything like that. So, yeah. Come, come that, on, come of, on. He's, First he's of all,
2: said, let me interrupt here. Weldon said he doesn't want to talk about non-elite running. We're talking about non-elite running. 28 nine fifty nine is an embarrassment for one of the top ultra guys. I think he's embarrassed. I mean, this is not a good look for the ultra guys. He thought he would run faster. He's kind of been injured. Sage Kennedy, podcast uh, guy. My former runner at Cornell, who's an ultra marathoner who's been on this podcast before several times, I think. Uh, VO2 Max Productions on YouTube, if you want to check him out. He, he said he would have expected something closer to 29-minute low, but this is not a good result for him. He wasn't really happy with it. He made some excuses about missing some training. But Weldon is violating his own rule on the own podcast.
1: I'm talking about one of the best runners in the world and what he does. I, how dare you?
0: Guys, before we go, I have breaking news here. And I think you're going to be very excited about it. Robert, your Baltimore Ravens have signed a player. He has not played in the NFL since 2017. He's someone that you guys frequently clamor should be on a roster, should be playing for someone. Can you guess who it is?
2: Oh, God. Not the, not the team killer. Des Bryant?
0: Ding, ding, ding! Des Bryant has signed with the Baltimore Ravens. Robin. Oh,
2: God. I haven't been watching the Ravens games. I've been depressed. I, I, I like the Ravens, but I would never sign Des. I think he is a chemistry killer on a team. He demands the ball. It becomes this, the, the media focuses on him. Oh,
1: God. I love Des, Bryant. This will be great. The, if, well, when the, Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys Super Bowl threat is still alive, if we make the Super Bowl and play the Ravens, I'll roof the Cowboys. Otherwise, the Ravens are my new team. My new team this year. I thought you were going to say Kaepernick, John. I was like, oh, wow, this
0: is get interesting. No, well, I could have said you know there's Antonio Brown as well. I guess Antonio Brown playing the league last year. Apparently, they're thinking the Seahawks might be the leaders there. But oh man, I mean, Robert, you could. Are they are they allowing fans back at Ravens games? You can go see Dez throw up the X for for your local team.
2: And they're playing the Cowboys soon. They are not. We have the one conservative Republican governor who doesn't let fans come to the games.
1: And we haven't had our COVID thing of the week, John. You you may get spared, but I, I want to know just a sense of acknowledgement. Remember we were talking about sporting events. we were talking about USAs and I'm like, well, they probably have to space people out at these sporting events. And you guys are like, they'll never space people out at sporting events.
0: I will take the loss on that. I owe you an apology. Weldon, you were right. You said that they could do this, that it would happen. I said, it seems silly. If you're going to allow fans, you should either allow none of them or, you know, it people out. This isn't going to work. I was wrong. They, they want that money from the fans, and they're doing it in the World Series right now. They're doing it, you know, college football. They would argue maybe they're not doing a great job of it in some of those venues. But, yeah, I didn't, I didn't think it would happen. I admit I was wrong.
1: Speaking of college football, John, the number two thread of the week, Alpha Fly is a bust, question mark. I'm not sure exactly what that's saying. I'll have to check that out. We can link to that as well. Oh, I
2: read it. Most people are going with the next percent, so they're not going to Alpha Flies. It's an interesting threat.
1: And number three, John. Nick Saban, latest proof that COVID is a bust. Uh-oh, I shouldn't have said that because now I'm going to get hate mail. COVID is not a bust. It's real people, but Nick Sabin. Actually, we can talk about this next week, just like my dad. One positive COVID test and then two negative COVID tests after.
0: That's not a proof.
1: 74-year-old man, and they didn't tell him for a couple of days either that he was positive. Eh, that's another issue, but hey.
0: It was a false positive. I mean, those happen. But no, oh, one thing. Actually, AlphaFly is a bust. Here is one argument. We didn't mention this in the shoot thing, but right before we go... Paris Jipchichia, what shoes is she wearing at the World Half? Adidas. I think, based on what she's been doing this fall, and I think Kibbutt Candy's an Adidas guy too, and he's now run three sub-59 half marathons this year, kind of seems like Adidas have now closed the gap, and they're pretty much, it feels like it's on the level. I mean, maybe these athletes are just amazing, but...
2: That, that doesn't show me anything. If, if, if it's still 10 seconds slower than somebody else, 10 seconds is a lot. We have no idea because based on, do you know how science works? You don't do it off one or two people. You have to do a controlled study. That's why we need, that's why we needs to fund it ourselves.
0: Okay, fine. If you're willing to do that, go ahead, do that. But I'm just saying the fact that two of the men, you know, two of the top two medalists at this event were wearing Adidas Either these guys, athletes, I think it's evidence that they're close and who knows if it's exactly the same, but I think it's hopefully we're getting towards the point of equilibrium in the sport.
1: Yeah, we all hope that, but we have no idea if it's the case. So World Athletics needs to be studying, doing studies on these shoes. And if it costs, uh, I've heard, ten grand or something to just study, come on. Take this, tax the shoe companies. If you want to be a shoe at the Olympics... If your brand wants to be, you have to pay some, you know, divvy it up four ways. They each pay a couple grand that they fund a study. Like, it's not that hard. Speaking of what you're wearing, we won't spend too much time. Deleted thread of the week. John, we talked about this beforehand. I was just looking at him. Satire video, a serious runner. Some guy, this thing's kind of funny. He just made a, he's got Let's Run post in there. He actually has Sage Candidate in there, Robert. Like, by chance, John and I, like, 10 seconds before the podcast before you got on the podcast we just found this thing or looking at it so we will restore this thread
0: yeah why is this deleted i don't understand it was a satire of like this guy pretending to sort of being one of those instagram runners who is always posting photos of his gear and dramatic workout shots in black and white and then going on let's run and trashing on hobby joggers i thought it was fairly amusing what is wrong with that thread i'm a bit on the thread but I, there's nothing wrong with the video
1: no, it's great. Maybe because the guy maybe he thought he's just trying to stir it up because he says taking shots at Let's Runners here, but like the guy was it's satire. He's, he's supposed to be taking shots. That's didn't? what
0: Let's Runners do. Let's Runners take shots at other Let's Runners. That's the whole point of the message boards, right?
1: Yeah, he was taking shots at everyone. It was great. Like, everyone needs to be a little less sensitive. So, we'll restore that thread. It'll be in the show notes. If you don't have your goat running shirt, they are shipping out now if you still want to order to go to shop.letsrun.com and if you want to save 20% on running shoes and support let's run get private content i've already decided i guess if you're listening now we'll tell you if you're a subscriber you heard what robert said earlier in the podcast if you're a non-subscriber we bleeped it out does that make sense going back in time parallel universes i'm not sure if you guys are understanding, but we got it done till next week. Weldon Johnson signing off.